Hello and welcome into another FS Shorts here. This is the Fan Section Podcast brought to you by fans for fans from Section 100 to Section 300, the bleachers to the sweets. Uh, just a couple of buddies talking college, dropping knowledge. Uh, Alan and I will hopefully be back together next week to be doing the regular podcast together. Uh, he's been killing it so far with our weekly podcast, and uh, I'm just uh, happy to be able to bring a little bit of um, extra insight in with these FS shorts. I'm hoping, hoping that he will get some going as well, uh, just to add a little more of... Uh, uh, you know, content for you all to be consuming to sort of get a better idea of what is going on in the college football landscape and what a fun weekend it was. Week six of college football for the first time in like two years. Alabama goes down. Zach Calzada, Alan and I saw him in person down in Denver. He looked a terrible, atrocious. Zach Calzada looked like a Heisman contender for real against Alabama in that game. It was fantastic. It's been a fun week so far. Without further ado, let's kick it off with my top 10. Alrighty. And I guess I will just go ahead and start at number four, maybe. Well, I'll start at number one, work my way down. Number one. Obviously, the Georgia Bulldogs, fresh off of their victory over number 18, Auburn, 34-10. JT Daniels still down with an injury, but Stetson Bennett stepped up, played admirably admirably in in his place. 67%, 231 yards, two touchdowns. They really found a good, uh, solid weapon on offense with the freshman wide receiver, Ladd McConkie. That's going to be pay real dividends for Georgia moving forward. Um, he, uh, he ended up the game with five receptions, 135 yards, and a touchdown. After an early field goal, Auburn just really could not get any traction against Georgia's defense until late in the third quarter when they were already down 24-3. This one was really uh, decided early on. I know my good buddy Allen was excited watching this game. However, for the first time this season, we saw Georgia's defense got a little exposed by the passing game. Uh, and Bo Nix's a good quarterback, but I, I, he's a lot of hype. I mean, I, this wasn't, a, you know, an outstanding passer that exposed them a little bit. They gave up 272 yards through the year, but, you know, timely stops helped seal the deal for them at the end of the game. Auburn was averaging 33 points per game. Georgia, still the number one scoring defense and still the number one yardage defense in the country, giving up only 5.5 points per game, 201 yards per game. Uh, so they really locked it down at the end of the game there. Uh, the final score, again, was 34-10. Now Georgia has defeated three top 25 opponents, and we finally have a comp. Okay, Penn State beat Bo Nix and Auburn 28-20 to at home last month. Georgia just beat Auburn on the road uh, 34-10, to a larger margin of victory. I think Georgia has clearly distinguished themselves as the best team in the country. They get a very good... Um, and under the radar, Kentucky Wildcats team on the road next week. Or, I'm sorry, this game I believe is at home next week. Kentucky is averaging 410 yards per game and 31 points. They're fun to watch. I watched their game this week, and they really put the screws to LSU. 
So I think that's going to be a very interesting game to keep your eye on as we move to next week. At number two, the Iowa Hawkeyes defeated in really one of the best games of the season, uh, if you like defensive football. Uh, They defeated number four, Penn State, 23-20 in an epic comeback at home. So much fun. They stormed the field. It was just a fantastic, uh, you know, scene. They had that patented Kinnick wave, which is a really, really cool tradition that they have, waving up at the, the children's hospital kids. This was just an electrifying atmosphere. The defense came out of the gate and struck early with two interceptions, Iowa Hawkeyes defense, in the first quarter. But the offense could only convert three points off of four turnovers in the game. That's a real problem. Their offense is a real liability. This was a bad Spencer Petras game, aside from that one uh, sort of bootleg long pass, which he way underthrew, ended up being caught for a touchdown late to to tie the game. Uh, 55%, 195 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. He never seemed real comfortable. He took three sacks and was just throwing really errant passes all day. This is a liability for Iowa. They really... You know, need to work on this the next couple of weeks before they face some more stiff opponents. The long and the short of this game is that Penn State quarterback Sean Clifford went down with an injury late in the second quarter, and that really changed the entire uh, outlook of the game. Um, Clifford had gashed the Hawkeyes' defense with the quarterback uh, designed run that seemed to have the defense confused for the first time all year. Uh, and then on the flip side of the ball, Penn State, Eli Brooks, Jaquan uh, uh, Brisker, and the Lions defense did everything they could in the second half, but they just had nothing from the offense. Uh, once Clifford went out, it was just sort of a matter of time, will Iowa make the comeback, because Penn State could do nothing on offense. They only mustered three points in the entire second half. That makes it real tough on your defense if you're Penn State. But on the other flip side of the coin, Iowa's defense did stand tall in the second half albeit against a backup quarterback. And I'm confident that they have the best secondary unit in the country. These guys are ball hawks. They, they mentioned it a few times in the game. Joel Clapp talked about it. But how when the ball goes up, these defensive backs like Riley Moss and some of these guys, they will, they will run the route as if they're the receiver. They don't play the man. They play for the ball. And it, I mean, you could see it happen. It was, it was pretty impressive to watch. They have a really, really scary, solid secondary unit. Uh, But the offense is really bad. It took Tyler Goodson 25 carries to get only 88 yards. The offense could do not much, really nothing in the first half, and then they finally worked out some trick plays and got some things going in the second half. But luckily for Iowa, this this was the big game. They don't play another ranked team until the Big Ten title game, assuming that they make it there. They need to use that time to really get the offense figured out. But, you know, the long and the short of it, congrats to Iowa on the biggest win probably since the Hayden Fry era. Um, Kirk Ferentz has a hell of a program going there. The team is playing really well. I see no reason why they shouldn't make it to the Big Ten championship game. And then they're going to face a tough opponent, whether that be Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State. Really, it's hard to tell who's going to come out of that other division. At number three, and this is, again, maybe temporary, but the number three team I have are the Cincinnati Bearcats. 
On Friday, they defeated Temple 52-3. This game was never, never even competitive. Cincinnati did what they had to do. And, uh, you know, you, you're going to have to just blow out teams like this for the rest of the season and, and hopefully get some help. And they did get some help from Notre Dame, who miraculously, very luckily, <laughs> pulled out a victory at home um, you know, in the last minute against Virginia Tech. I, I don't have much confidence that Notre Dame's going to finish out, win out the season, uh, given the performance that they had this past weekend. Uh, but Cincinnati's defense is elite. Myjay Sanders on the D-line and Cody Bryant and Brian Cook in the secondary, they're real NFL talents. This is a defense that we saw really bow their back and play well against Georgia uh, in the bowl game last year. So Cincinnati's defense is elite. However, I've noticed something in the last two games with Cincinnati that I think is a little bit concerning. Um, for all the talk about Desmond Ritter, who now is third, last I checked, in the Heisman projections, um, he really seems to need the defense to set up the offense in order to have any success. Cincinnati only has three drives of 80 yards or more all season, which means if they're not getting short fields, if the defense isn't getting turnovers, they really have difficulty getting traction and getting going. That's that's a problem, uh, and kind of surprising that Desmond Ritter is third in the Heisman voting, given that information. Uh, Ritter did end up with really good stats in this game, 259 yards passing, three touchdowns, but that was off of three forced turnovers by the defense. Again, uh, this might be something to keep an eye on moving forward, uh, really kind of nitpicking, but Cincinnati's going to have to continue to roll they get uh, Cincinnati gets a underperforming UCF team at home next week. UCF, boy, they started off the season with a big win over Boise State, but since then they they lost to Louisville. They lost a heartbreaker to Navy, where they gave up 17 points in the fourth quarter and couldn't score any themselves. And then this last weekend they just survived against a pretty pedestrian Eastern Carolina or East Carolina team. Cincinnati needs to roll like they did against Temple in each of their next five games. On November 11th, they get SMU. And this is an SMU team who is also unbeaten and ranked as of right now. So Cincy needs probably Indiana, Notre Dame, SMU, and Houston to win out to really have a chance to maintain their spot in the playoff. Um, Currently, there are 13 remaining unbeaten teams in the country. They probably need some combination of the following. A two-loss Pac-12 champion, two-loss Big 12 champion, which might be tough because Oklahoma and Oklahoma State are both undefeated. A two-loss ACC champion, so they got to be rooting for Wake Forest to lose every week. Um, or, you know, and also maybe a, uh, only a one SEC team with one or fewer losses uh, and only one um, Big 10 team with one or fewer losses. It's a tall task. It's a tall order. It'll be interesting. I, I, this is one thing. I like that they're talking about moving to playoff expansion because this is a, a tough thing about it. Is Cincinnati, they just come out. They've done what they had to do on the field, and what you're probably going to see is they're going to work their way down and down and down and not end up in the playoff. Just as a, no fault of their own, just that they are not considered to have um, you know, the caliber of opponents or the caliber of team to be in the playoff, which is which is really uh, unfortunate, I think. Uh, 
At number four, and this is a team that Allen has zero faith in, but somehow they continue to scrape by and win. This is the Oklahoma Sooners. They just are fresh off of a victory over number 21, Texas, 55-48. to This game and the Alabama-Texas A&M game were, without a doubt, the most exciting games of the day. If you get a chance to go back and watch either of these games, I mean back and forth, and you're, you know, Texas is definitely going to win. No, no, Oklahoma's definitely going to win. I mean, it was just so much fun to watch. And fun because Kirk Herbstreit was calling the game. <laughs> and after all the crying and defense of Spencer Rattler from Kirk Herbstreit, it became clear in this game that he was the problem. You know, Texas jumped out to a 28-7 lead, uh, aided by two Oklahoma punts and a Spencer Rattler interception. Oklahoma... Um, Subbed in the freshman Caleb Williams, already being down 28-7. And, and, I mean, at this point in the game, they're talking about Steve Sarkeesian and how he and he might have the biggest victory of a first-year Texas coach against Oklahoma. Well, they sub in, Oklahoma subs in uh, Caleb Williams, and boom, 66-yard touchdown run. Then, for some reason, Lincoln Riley puts Rattler back in the game. <laughs> I just don't get it. The offense was just terrible with him at the helm. And after he fumbled the ball at midfield, leading to another Texas touchdown, Rattler was officially benched. Finally. Okay. Uh, and then this is when the fireworks really started in the second half. Oklahoma had four second-half touchdowns and a field goal. Texas held them off after they had caught up. It was so much fun. But look at this comparison. Rattler threw for 50%, 111 yards, and an interception. Caleb Williams, 65%, 212 Pass for two touchdowns. He also ran for 88 yards and a touchdown. He's clearly the superior quarterback. It's hard to believe Rattler was a Heisman front runner coming into the season. It really is. Um, Oklahoma has definitely found their quarterback, but so too has Texas. Casey Thompson from Texas was outstanding. 388 yards, five touchdowns. He was battling at the end of the game. Uh, as far as running backs, Bijan Robinson, 20 carries, 137 yards and a touchdown. And for Oklahoma, Kennedy Brooks, 25 carries, 217 yards, and two touchdowns. So, basically, there was no defense played in this game at all. <laughs> I mean, it's basically the story here. Um, Oklahoma, I, I, I have them at four, but just, just because they have now, hopefully it looks like, officially decided to move off of Spencer Rattler and to Caleb Williams, the freshman. Uh, Oklahoma gets a tough TCU squad at home next week. TCU just beat down Texas Tech, who'd been playing pretty well, 52-31. to Outside of that, Oklahoma's next real test is Bedlam. That's going to be on November 13th. They get top 15 and currently undefeated Oklahoma State um, at, uh, in Stillwater. So that's, that's my playoff picture for right now. Teams just on the outside looking in right now. And I probably would have switched Oklahoma and this next team if, if they had performed better this week, but they did not. Number five, I have the Michigan Wolverines. This was also kind of a fun game uh, back and forth. Um, they, they just uh, coming off their victory over Nebraska, 32-29. to and obviously, I'm a Colorado fan. I can't stand Nebraska, but you have to give their fans credit. It was loud. It was all red. That's what college football is all about. 
And the the uh, the Cornhuskers team they really played off of the crowd, um, so I, it was a kind of a fun game to watch. But Michigan finally trailed for the first time this season. Coming into this week, there were only two teams who had not trailed at any point in the season. That was Alabama, who ended up getting a loss, and Michigan, uh, who barely snuck out the victory. Um, after Michigan defense stood tall and shut out the Cornhuskers in the first half, it was 13 to nothing at halftime. The Nebraska offense put up four second-half touchdowns. They clearly made some adjustments. Adrian Martinez played phenomenal in the second half for Nebraska. 202 yards passing, three touchdowns. He rushed for another touchdown. It was a real gutsy performance out of him. And, you know, for Scott Frost, it's just like if they could just put together one complete game, this program would be on a much better trajectory. But Nebraska seems to have turned a corner. We'll see if it's too late for Scott Frost. They could have won this game. They probably should have won the game against Michigan State. They had a lead by seven late in the fourth quarter. Uh, that would have, They would have been 5-2 and two with two top 25 wins. That would be a whole world of difference away from where they're at now, which is 3-4 and four, and really trying to struggle to, to close out games and to play a complete game. Uh, but that was not the case. Michigan's running game wore down Nebraska late, and Michigan was able to do just enough to squeak out the victory. The running back combo of Hassan Haskins and Blake Corum was phenomenal. Haskins, 123 yards, two touchdowns. Blake Corum, 89 yards and a touchdown. He had a 37 receiving yards as well. Cade McNamara really did not play as well as, as he's played in the past few games. He had a costly late interception, which luckily the defense was able to bow their back and overcome. But other, otherwise, he played okay. They don't ask him to do a lot, and so when you're not asked to do a lot and then you make mistakes, that is pretty tough. But that's only the second turnover for Michigan all season. That's winning. That's a winning brand of football if you can uh, hold on to the ball like that. I think their turnover margin is plus eight. Um Michigan's offense needs to learn how to put teams away. This is the same thing this game that happened against Rutgers uh, a couple weeks ago. Inferior opponent. They can't capitalize early when the defense is playing phenomenal. They probably should have been up 21-0 at halftime. Instead, it was 13. Settle for some field goals instead of touchdowns. Uh, And then the, the opponent comes back on you late, and it makes it for a tight game when it didn't have to be. Michigan gets a really bad Northwestern team next week. Northwestern, they're, they're going to be the death of me when I try and do my, my metrics, my numbers, and, and projections for the season. Northwestern, they either win 10 games or they win two games. They, it's just every other year, it's bananas, but they are really bad this year. Uh, Nebraska just beat Northwestern. So Michigan gets Northwestern next. Uh, and then the following uh, on on October 30th, Michigan is at Michigan State. That'd be a lot of fun if both teams were still undefeated going into that game. The Big Ten is just dang fun to watch this year. And at number six, I have the Kentucky Wildcats. They had a, just a very impressive victory, wire to wire dominance over LSU, 42 to 21 this weekend. Uh, it really was dominance throughout. They were up 14 nothing at halftime, 35-7 to going into the fourth quarter. Uh, this kid, uh, Will Le- Levis, 
Levis, I believe it's Levis, the quarterback for Kentucky, Will Levis, 14 to 17, 145, and three passing touchdowns. That is that's the, those are the kind of numbers you want to see out of Cade McNamara from Michigan. Really, you're only throwing it 17 times, but you're able to pull three touchdowns out of that. High completion percentage, just really really impressive. Kentucky's bellwether though is the running offense. 330 total rush yards on the LSU. Will Levis had 75 of them for two touchdowns. That's five total touchdowns for Will Levis. Uh, and then the the running back, the the, the dual headed running back core. Chris Rodriguez Jr. 147 yards and a touchdown. And Kavosi Smoke, who who's now arrived on the scene, as a good sort of lightning, uh, thunder and lightning. The two of them. He had another 104 yards rushing. Kentucky's defense was elite through three quarters. They looked as good as as any defense I've seen all year through the first three quarters. Uh, let let their uh, foot off the gas a little bit. Mark Stoops probably put in some backups. Uh, but DeAndre Square and Hawkes Jones anchor a, just a stout linebacking core that I think can really give some of the better teams in the SEC fits. This was the second really impressive performance by Mark Stoops' squad, um, the first one being their victory over Florida. But I'll tell you what, it's a step up in class. Their biggest test comes next week where they are at Georgia. This is going to be a fun game to watch. I hope Kentucky can stay competitive. I think ultimately for them to have a chance, they need to not. They need to probably win the turnover battle by two or three and, uh, and play really solid defense, which they seem capable of doing. You can't let up in the fourth quarter, though. But after this game against Georgia, Kentucky doesn't face another ranked opponent all season. This is a team, Kentucky, believe it or not. They could finish 11-1. They haven't won 11 games since 1950. This is a really fun team to watch. Mark Stoops it really is, is probably one of the front runners for Coach of the Year right now for the Dodd Trophy. Uh, man, they are just a ton of fun to watch. And I'm looking forward to this game against Georgia coming up next weekend. Alrighty, now just a little glimpse here before we close out on, a, on some of the teams that are on the outside looking in. So that was my top four, and then the two right on the cusp there. Uh, I've got number one, Georgia, two, Iowa, three, Cincinnati, four, Oklahoma. Just barely on the outside looking in, I've got Michigan, who will, if they go undefeated, they'll have a chance to play Iowa in the Big Ten Championship game. And then I have Kentucky, who will be playing Georgia this coming weekend. Uh, just on the outside looking in, my first team out at number seven, I have Alabama. Boy, this game was so much fun. I know I mentioned it earlier, but definitely if you get a chance, you should go back and watch this game. Zach Calzada for Texas A&M played with his hair on fire. So much fun. And the uh, Texas A&M defense really exposed uh, a wrinkle against Alabama being that if you really put pressure on Bryce Young, he makes mistakes. And it makes sense. I mean, he's a freshman quarterback. It's kind of hard to believe teams haven't tried to do this before. But uh, Alabama lost 41-38 to uh, at Texas A&M. This is their first loss uh, to an unranked team, I think, in like 100 games or something. I mean, this was just, it's just a crazy game. However, Texas A&M has two losses. Alabama just beat Ole Miss. Alabama is still in first place in the SEC West. They still control their destiny. Um, 
you know, but looking down the road at their schedule, they finish out the season with uh, a game at home against Arkansas, and then their last game, obviously, is at Auburn. I'm not real sure either of those teams have a great chance, but when you see Texas A&M pull it off, I think maybe Auburn could give them trouble on the road the last game of the season. But again, the big takeaway from that game is Bryce Young under pressure. It, it threw it threw them off a little bit. And, and, and I don't mean just like he threw a bunch of interceptions. Like his passes were off by just a bit. There were a number of uh, passes late where his solid wide receivers, tight ends, where the ball came in just a little bit angled and it bounced off of their hands. Um, those are the those are the things that can make the difference between uh, a win and a loss, especially when you're playing a team as talented as Alabama. At number eight, and I mean, all this hinges on the injury status of Sean Clifford, but Penn State, they, if Sean Clifford had played that whole game, they probably beat Iowa by, by 10, maybe more. Okay, but as it turns out, you know, Sean Clifford gets injured. Iowa pulls out the win, 23-20 over Penn State. Uh, I'm still very impressed with Penn State. They can still win the Big Ten East. Everything's still in front of them. They play at Ohio State in two weeks. They have Michigan at home after that, and then at Michigan State in November. Again, like I said, all of this is going to come down to whether Sean Clifford can come back. The, 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 the drop-off of efficiency and performance from Sean Clifford to their backup Robinson was just massive. If, if Clifford's out for a couple of weeks, that could spell trouble for Penn State. If not, Penn State, they could certainly come back and find their way uh, in the Big Ten Championship game with a rematch against Iowa. At number... Where are we at now? Nine. Number nine... I have Michigan State, and the the I've been impressed and unimpressed with Michigan State at times here, but ultimately, uh, it's all the whole game has been laying on the back of Kenneth Walker uh, for Michigan State and and some good defense. Well, we finally got a chance to see Peyton Thorne, the quarterback, play uh, play better. Man, he looked really good. Three hundred forty passing yards, three touchdowns. Uh, a lot of that, see, Michigan State, I think, has found their identity. They established a run and then opened things up for Peyton Thorne, and he really capitalized on it this game. Uh, Kenneth Walker had another wonderful game, 232 yards rushing and a touchdown. For Michigan State, uh, they've got Indiana next, but they still, they've got Michigan at Ohio State and Penn State left on their schedule. I, I think they probably lose all three of those. They are, I think, the weakest of, of those four top-tier uh, Big Ten East teams remaining. But but we'll see. They get two of those games at home, Michigan and Penn State, both at home. Next up, I have Oklahoma State, still undefeated. They just are coming off of a bye week. Um, man, the defense really flexed against Baylor. This is a team kind of very similar to Iowa, where the defense is superb. Oklahoma State's defense is not as good as Iowa's, but the liability is the offense. Uh, the, the game against Baylor, Oklahoma State held Baylor to 280 yards. This was last week of total offense. Baylor averaging 461 yards of total offense. Baylor had a fantastic performance this week. Uh, 
So clearly Baylor's a good team, and Oklahoma State just has a really good defense. Um, Next up for Oklahoma State is at Texas this coming weekend, and then they follow that up at Iowa State. That's a pretty tough back-to-back there, Um, even though both of those teams will probably be unranked. These are really good, sound football teams uh, that are much improved. Uh, Oklahoma State could lose both of those games, to be honest with you. But it would be fun if they could hold on uh, and, and, and find a way to be undefeated going into that Bedlam game the last week of the season against Oklahoma. Um, the, the liability for Oklahoma State, like I mentioned, is the offense. Spencer Sanders has four interceptions on the year, and they just don't have many weapons on offense. So it's going to be interesting to see if Oklahoma State can find some weapons to exploit on offense because the defense will not be able to hold um, – throughout the season, especially when you've got Casey Thompson in Texas coming in who just threw for five touchdowns and whatever it was, 400 yards against Oklahoma. Then we have the Oregon Ducks. Oregon also coming off of a bye week. They were off of the loss to Stanford into the bye week. Their stock is sinking um, in the loss for Stanford. Uh, the defense just could not come up with any timely stops. Uh, it really was not more complicated than that. Um, Anthony Brown, the quarterback, he could be the guy, but it, it seems like we've identified he can't pass in the red zone. He's, he's an effective runner in the red zone, uh, but he can't pass in the red zone, and you're going to need to figure out how to do that uh, if you want to be a team that's making a shot at the playoff. Luckily for them, they don't they don't play another ranked opponent on their schedule all year. The Pac-12 really, I, I was very impressed with Arizona State on Friday night. Uh, it really looks like it's going to be a showdown between Oregon and Arizona State. Uh, and a one-loss Pac-12 team could maybe make it into the playoffs. So um, knowing the history of the Pac-12, probably... Oregon will lose another game, and then they'll beat Arizona State. You'll have a two-loss Pac-12 champion, and the conference remains irrelevant like it has been for a decade plus. But if you're a Pac-12 fan and you want a Pac-12 shot, you want Arizona State and Oregon to win out and then face each other in the Pac-12 championship game, which I think is possible. Those are clearly the two best teams in the conference at this point. And finally... Don't look now, but the Ohio State Buckeyes are playing phenomenal football again. They do have that one blemish on their schedule, which is the loss to Oregon at home. But they just beat down Maryland uh, this this past weekend. And, you know, Maryland maybe had a little more hype than they needed to. They were beat down two weeks ago by, by Iowa. But Ohio State won 66-17 to this weekend. In the four games that they've played since the Oregon loss, the offense has scored 40 or more points every game. The defense has given up fewer than 20 points every game. They're playing much better on defense. The defense was really the problem against Oregon. They're playing much better on defense. On October 30th, Ohio State gets Penn State at home. And this is what I'm talking about. If Sean Clifford is back and they're able to play their brand of football uh, Penn State could maybe roll into the horseshoe and pull off this win. If they don't have Sean Clifford, Ohio State definitely wins this game. Um, and then their final two games of the season, they get Michigan State at home and at Michigan. One big takeaway from this game 
was they, they seemed to really understand that uh, you can't come out of the gate passing with C.J. Stroud. You need to establish the run. Uh, Trevion Henderson has become a reliable bell cow as a running back for them. And, and C.J. Stroud is back. Uh, he missed a, missed a game a couple weeks ago. Kyle McCord played. had a, an injury. Uh, but he's back now. His second 400-plus yard passing game. He threw for 406 yards against Maryland. Five touchdowns. This is an Ohio State team that I think is is poised to make a comeback. They've got the games on their schedule remaining to work their way back into the playoff. Uh, but for right now, I'm just really excited that we have so many teams that haven't um, haven't had story playoff history that are involved. I mean, you might say Georgia. Well, Georgia's only made one playoff. Um, and outside of that, they've always been kind of on the outside looking in. You've got Iowa in the mix. Um, again, Iowa probably having one of their best seasons since um, Hayden Fry era. Uh, Cincinnati would be so much fun if they were able to make the playoff. Um, and Michigan is back, it looks like. Uh, Michigan State, Oklahoma State. Uh, just a lot of fun teams to watch. Unfortunately, a team I was really pulling for, BYU, went down to Boise State. Um, you know, I, we talked about at the beginning of the season, they were the team in the, in the entire country that was replacing the most talent on their team. Pretty remarkable that they were able to have the success that they had, but you knew eventually that was going to um, come home to roost. And so uh, that's another undefeated team that goes down. As I mentioned earlier, only 13 undefeated teams remain. Uh, my University of Texas San Antonio Roadrunners with Frank Harris and Sincere McCormick were able to hold off uh, a real plucky Western Kentucky team to remain undefeated. Coastal Carolina still undefeated. A lot of, uh, a lot of uh, fun mid-major teams. San Diego State looked really good against my alma mater, New Mexico, last night. Um, <clears throat> a lot of fun undefeated teams still remaining out there on the table. So that's my rundown of my rankings and I toss it over to Alan now to see uh, what his thoughts are and how his rankings match up with mine. I sort of feel like he's going to have the same number one team as me, probably number two, and then it's anybody's guess. But that's all I have for today on this FS Short. Thanks for sticking it out here with the Fan Section Podcast. And without further ado... Let's get ready for week seven.